0: my favorite neighbor, has agreed to be the second Cracker Jack's guest. You might recognize him as the vagabond outside the local grocery store chatting on his phone. While he definitely looks like that guy, he is probably encouraging or listening to a soul who is struggling with life-shattering addiction. He has dedicated almost the last decade to good people and their families who want to recover from addiction. Kirk spends about 20 minutes with me explaining the importance of fellowship and vulnerability as the most important point of active personal recovery recorded on july 4th independence day this is kurt
1: do canadians celebrate 4th of july
0: pretty
1: much they're grateful that we're here that's better.
0: Does
1: that sound clear? Oh, good. You're vaping. <laughs> Not on camera.
0: Is that? Oh, actually, it is. Um,
1: so what, that's forward. what edits are for. It's better than smoking. For sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, thanks for having me. This is pretty awesome setup. Yeah, it is. Really awesome. really awesome. Let's dig right in. What's the last book you read, Kirk?
1: The subtle art of not giving you it was a really good one um i reread that i have the cliff notes version after i read it the first time um that's a big one from i read the bible every day different parts of it um book of james is my favorite but i, I read a lot of john and then think myself to death and a lot of the books self-help books or self-help books are um all, you know, thinking, thinking this and thinking that, and I get the thinking. You, you know, got that dialed in, top I've never gotten into the novels where it's, um, you know, it's it's fiction. I just need a constant reminder of some certain things, um, not to take yourself too seriously, kind of enjoy life and live it one day at a time. And so I find different books, or you've you've given me some, and some other friends have given me some or recommended. Something that touches on that and maybe uh, different people's perspective is huge. Looking at the same thing just in a different way and that constant reminder that is huge for me. So yeah, uh, every day I wake up with untreated, you know,
0: Kirk and, um, you know, I get a daily reprieve from So that. that thinking, like we talked about this, overthinking is a form of addiction. So you somehow get... I don't know if it's dopamine or whatever, that if you're constantly thinking, it's, it's like having a cigarette. It's like you don't want to stop. So that form of addiction, whether it's cigarettes or whatever, Over it's... Overthinking
1: things, that's my ego trying to play that so many times that the way that it, it either creates me as being a hero or as a victim, whatever, you know, best suits my mood. And, you know, I've mentioned before, I've had arguments with uh, everyone in the house Before I even leave the house And I live by myself In my head Just continuously um, Ruminating on one thing That was said And and it's, it's, it's really just A result of taking yourself You know Too seriously You being the focus Of your life And that's one of the Main reasons You want to get out Of yourself And they say Be of service Of others Being useful So a lot of people's Goal in life Is to be happy And so happiness A lot of times Is dictated by External surroundings. You know, what you have, who you're around, what you're doing, um, not as much based uh, on what's going on inside. And so my more philosophy that was taught with me is to be more useful in life to myself and and to others and to God. And so by doing that, you find some serenity, some contentment, some joy versus
0: happiness. You lived the American dream. You um, married your high school sweetheart. Uh, you had uh, two healthy kids. And uh, then what happened? <clears throat> That's a great question.
1: Uh, you know, the the addiction really took over on uh, my life. Um, you can see from the outside and probably in my late 30s. You know, at some point in your life and finally takes control of it where, you know, it was at one point something that you enjoyed, you know, the, the partying and, and did it normally with friends to where... You were doing it in excess until it, it was the only thing you thought about day and night. I don't know where that line was crossed, probably somewhere in my late 30s, but the following seven, eight years of my life was just um, really hell. And uh, not only for myself, but I put my family through that, my children through that. You're right, I married my high school sweetheart, and she was hugely supportive until she couldn't take it anymore. And, and that was the best thing that actually ever happened to me is the day she kicked me out was when... You know, my life, it, it, it bottomed out. If it wasn't for the empathy of an ex-brother-in-law of mine, I would have been homeless. And so that that's what draws me to people that are roaming the streets and have nowhere to go. Had I not had a huge family, that had not run through everyone's, uh, you know, run over everyone, uh, I would have ended up at a shelter. I would have ended up on the streets. You know, And as it ha- you know, happened, I had a friend that got me into a rehab that ended up saving my life. I spent four months down at Stella Maris in Cleveland, and that place changed my whole perspective and gave me a new lease on life. And, and that's why I have a huge amount of gratitude. I was given a gift. So I didn't just think of these things. People gave me stuff and helped me along and kept me upright when I couldn't do it myself. And so... You know, I, I, as much as I'd like to do, there's no way I could ever repay uh, what's been given to me.
0: You're able to, you know, spend your money on gas and keep families together and have your energy that instead of spending it going to buy a six pack, you go and buy a pizza and, and give it to folks that are trying. And I think you've seen the people that are in the space that you used to be in. And you realize that there is light at the end of that tunnel and they might not realize that, right? I mean, that, that light in the darkness, uh, you found that, you saw in your darkest point. And that's where you think like energy that you put into that is obviously stuff that you benefit from. But I think it's tenfold when it not only benefits the person you're talking to, but it benefits their family and you're able to mend relationships just simply on using your free time to encourage somebody to spend more time with their family versus, you know, go to the bar or whatever. You know,
1: in the sharing of your recovery, the sharing of the life you live now um, makes your life and your recovery stronger.
0: You figured out, hey, this recovery thing isn't so bad. It's, uh, it's what a,
1: brought me to the point where I couldn't take it anymore. You know, no more handcuffs. I couldn't take them anymore. I couldn't, be, you know, um, humiliate my kids anymore. Getting arrested on the front lawn—that has to stop. And had that not happened, had I gotten away one more time or one more time, she was forced upon us, and then we have a gradual accepting of it. That first, you know, that first push, that first step is you know accepting uh, and admitting that you have a problem. And that, and your life's a shit show, a shit storm. And once you can recognize that, then you can start to realize, I mean, you, you come to the realization of, you know, why am I living like this? You know, and uh, um, I don't want to live like
0: this anymore. And then you have a little bit of a belief that you can, your life can be better. And you try to do this by yourself, right? You try to play the games in your head. Oh, it's it's
1: endless. I have calendars where I x through it, and at some external date, I was you know in the future, I was going to get it together. I was going to stop the you know you know go through that period of of pain and detox and then you know and it was always tomorrow It was always planning on it was always pushing it out and it just never happens. and so something steps in it's your higher power and it, that is it looks like many different things sometimes it's wearing a uniform carrying handcuffs sometimes it's being coming home and your bags are on the front door you know or uh sometimes it's just you're sick and tired of being sick and tired
0: shadow of death you walked through
1: was? Um, all that that happened gives you a huge amount of gratitude for what's to come. I mean, everyone has had something happen in their life that is you know cause them some pain. You know, whether they realize it or face it or not is, is personal. Um, and then be grateful for the life that you have today. And it's just one day at a time and maybe getting a little bit better each day. So, yeah, all that you have to have, that experience, or you can't share it, it's then realizing that, okay, you know, maybe there is, maybe there is hope for us, that there's a, a better way to live. Get rid of all the insanity in life, and that's the next step. So just admitting you have a problem, having a belief or a little bit of hope that it can be, life can be better and that problem can be solved, and then accepting that help. Uh, and those are the first three steps. And sometimes they go really quickly. Sometimes people really struggle on this.
0: So the structure of the steps is essentially own it. It's the first step, you know, to get in the car, to go to a group. And that structure give you the discipline. But you have to take those t- steps seriously. Um, are you able to start at step 10 and just say, okay, I'm going to check that off the list. Then I'll go back to the harder steps or whatever. No, and and I've tried it that
1: way. It doesn't work. And I've picked certain steps that I want to do uh, because they're easy, and that didn't work. I um, started at the you know the twelfth step and tried to give away, um, but I didn't have anything to give away, so that didn't work either. It's you know, and, and you can. I've sat in uh, in within that fellowship for many years, not being sober and trying to do it that way and that doesn't work either the first step is just to
0: admit that you have a problem why is it so important to admit
1: because if you can't admit you have a problem you can't solve it I mean it's that you know it's that responsibility' it's that honesty that's you know that, that that you want to have it's that really strict um honesty rigorous honesty it says and that's something that we're not familiar with as addicts we've never told the truth in our life even when it worked better for us we lie It's just a second nature. That that would come out of our mouth.
0: What is the draw to group therapy? Being vulnerable in front of strangers. How how do you think that's so valuable? Public
1: sharing is the whole basis of that fellowship. When, when you're an addict, or, uh, whether it be any of the you know the fellowships, the gambling and. towards the latter stages of that you isolate because it's more and more difficult to find people that are doing exactly what you're doing um you don't want anybody to find you out and so you become that fear just you know engrosses you become lonely even in rooms of people with you know people that love you your family or um your friends if they still love you um you still feel lonely you've you've um gone into that cocoon and so first of all that connection to somebody else that's somewhat like you it astonishes that there's people that like you that that are like you and then that's I think it's a human
0: connection that, that you strive for what about introverts like
1: when you're introverted you're always thinking about yourself and this gets you out of that and gives you some relief of of that Um, reduces that fear that you have of sharing anything with another human being. I just think it's that connection of you're hearing someone's story, they're passing on hope to you, and, you know, through saying, you know, everyone's story is different, our outsides are different, but inside we're all the same. We were running on fear and resentment and And all this self-will run riot. And, you know, a lot of times we manipulated or hit it and and made it look like we were being good guys or good husbands, you know, good fathers. But everything was, you know, a means
0: to an end for us. All that was about us. And so venting to family uh, offers some comfort. But being vulnerable with other addicts provides like immediate relief, right? I I think that when somebody, when you find somebody that's been through the same as you, you
1: kind of sit up and listen, you know, that they've walked through this and gotten through the other end. And I was astonished when I first walked in uh, and met some people that were willing to help you with you know, no other agenda. I didn't know that that was the pathway to freedom, was to help another person. And so before I figured that out or before it was shown to me, um, I was amazed that these people would help you with no other agenda than just that they can. And so that connection, I think, is where it starts. That's why you do it in a group. And it's that talking out loud. It's that those secrets that we hold inside that we had, were um, determined to hold t- until we died. It's like getting them out in front of somebody else, a, a group or an individual, depending on the you know situation, they hold no more power over you. Once everyone finds out that you're a bust-out alcoholic and you really don't have a job, you've been pretending this whole time, and you can get rid of that fictitious resume and that you're not a big shot that you pretend to be, it holds no more power over you. and It's the
0: relief uh, that you find in that. So I think that's where that connection comes. It's kind of cool that it comforts a total stranger, too. is kind of like a residual effect, right? When you pass that along... It helps you. But when the other
1: person gets it, it's, it's the receiving of that hope and empathy that no other person can... The, there's a say. There's a married couple, and the husband is just a you know a down and out drunk, and she's tried for years, stuck with him, and done anything, bent over backwards, accommodated him, to try to get him help. And he walks into the rooms of the, a fellowship, and he meets people like him, and they and he in, and he understands their experience, and he accepts that, and then he, he he's forced to take a look at his own, and he starts to get better. Sometimes there's the resentment from the the uh, the spouse that. You know, for years I've tried to help him and and I can't. Now he walks in and in a week he's he's talking totally than he was before. So they have to get past that and they have to understand that two addicts talking together is different than a
0: normal person and addict talking. It's just that connection that they have and they understand it. Of course, with the joy of addiction, it just masks it with alcohol or whatever and... Kicks the, uh, kicks the can down the street. You know you're only as sick as your secrets.
1: The stuff that you hold on to will bring you down, and that's what ruminates in your head over and over. Are those those thoughts that shit that you're holding in that no one else knows about, or you want no one else to know about? They're going to be ultimately your undoing. Um, there are days still to this day. That, you know, you go through it and I'm still in control. It's Kirk's world and I'm I'm driving the bus. And those days generally don't go well. When I, you know, relax and, and put God in charge, okay,
0: and let things come to me, my day generally goes a lot better. The, the discipline to stay on course and having daily conversation with your own conscious seems, seems like a lot of work. I have all my
1: interactions, everything, you know, the people that, you know, my work, connection with my kids, friends, all goes better. It's uh you you go through the steps, it's continuous working on the steps. I mean you go through them once to get that experience to to, to lead you. I and mean, the whole purpose of the uh the twelve steps is to go through and it you know, admitting that you have a, a problem, being willing to accept that help. And then realizing, placing your trust in in a higher power, whatever that is. Then it's going through and examining what fears you have um, and then, you know, and what resentments you have. And the biggest offender specifically for addicts is... We hold on to resentments, you know, either for institutions, or people, situations of the past, and we hold on to those, and we're reluctant to let those go, and and we always think that we were harmed. We were the victim of it. And so this process, you know, allows you to, to get those out, get them on paper, get those fears on paper, take an honest look at them, and and, and understand and, and uh, being willing to admit that, you know, I played a large part in all those resentments I had. You know, I had a resentment you know, for university, for putting me on probation, academic, and for, um, for discipline. And fact of the matter is, I wasn't going to class and I was smoking dope. So that'll get you on those two. Um, you know, uh, uh, my family abandoned me, but for years I was never home. I, I was all, you know, So it's that taking ownership of what part you played in those resentments that allows you, gives you freedom from them. Then it's just really becoming willing to be a little bit better each day and get rid of those defects of character. We're loaded with, you know, with, um, you know, a big ego with really, really fearful inside, you know, with the different, uh, um, character defects we have. Me first, we got to be willing and pray those things and, and be willing to give them up.
0: You know, I think like the real people with sincere body language of listening, they're the ideal deal audience right who understand the pain and struggle that you're going through and they give you that that tangible empathy
1: i think that we're all connected and we're all the same we've all there are people who've been through it so people when they walk in the door or they or they're walking out of jail or they're just going by and, and really they have no really external consequences yet except for the internal ones that fear that nonstop resentment is a way out of that and if there's that's no way to live you know and it's mostly people are really reluctant to share you know their internal struggles even in everyday life you'll see until you really get to know a person what they struggle with internally are they comfortable telling you that or you see it and, and they accept that that you know that and that that's just not a way to live and that's why the fellowship encourages a public you know, sharing uh, of, you know, confession, so to speak, of what you've been through, not only is it healthy for you, but it really, really benefits the people that are sitting there listening, they're holding on to things like, oh my God, I did this, another human being will never know about it. And so it's that getting that out and being um, willing to be vulnerable and realize that everyone's walking through something at some point in their life. And that, you know, there there are some people that have been through it And that they can help you through it And basically it's just, you know, sitting down and talking And sharing your experiences with them Everyone's worried about being judged, you know And, and still to this day you walk in and, and, and you're, you know, fearful of that and, and it's that getting through that, that, um, uh initial, you know, hesitation that everyone's looking at me, everyone's focused on me. And the truth of the matter is they're not they're focused on themselves. I mean, 99% of the time, they're trying to figure out how to get out of their own way.
0: The fact that you're able to use your time helping other people, knowing you and the majority of your spare time is spent helping other people take crazy late phone calls and for you to get in the car. So, um
1: it's a two-way street, and it's it's from an outside, not knowing anything about how the whole everything works like that, how the program works, or how life works. In my opinion, uh, to be useful, is uh, you think, oh wow, look at it. he gets up, he goes downtown, and he helps the homeless, and. But the root of it is it helps me. It makes me feel useful that I have a purpose in life and that I've been given a massive gift. You appreciate what you have now. Checking ourselves at the end of every day. You know, how was I in my interactions with people? How was I? Was I honest? Did I work hard? Did I do what I intended to do when I got on my knees in the morning and prayed? Uh, the 12th step is to, you know, live live a life uh, esteemable. And, and, and practice the principles of the program of the, program or the fellowship in, in everything that you do. And, and more importantly, is, is to carry that message to the, the suffering addict,
0: alcoholic. Do you encourage other people to make sure they stay on the path of these steps?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, so there's a, a mechanism for that they call it sponsorship. And it's where you know somebody's asked you to guide that you've been through the twelve steps. Somebody asked you to help them initially go through the twelve steps. Having you know a knowledge of the steps and how they've been applied to my life, you just share that with somebody else. You share your experience with another person. They go through the twelve steps, and generally you you build a friendship. It's where when they want to bounce something off somebody that they call you and they talk about it and they work. How long have we been? (laughs) How long have we been talking for?